The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Well, earlier this week, President Cyril Ramaphosa announcing Tula Singhnesi, the Minister of Labor and Employment, will be the acting minister for the Department of Public Service and Administration. Of course, it follows the departure of Ayanda Dlodlaw as the political principal of the Public Service Department. She's leaving for a post overseas. Hajra Omarji is the political editor of the Business Day and joins us now. Hajra, good morning to you. Thanks for your time today. Good morning, Kathy. Always a pleasure. So, Hajra, looking then at just this decision to place Tula Singhnesi as the acting Minister of Public Service and Administration, you've been speaking to some people and it looks like it's gotten some cabinet ministers anxious. <laughs> what exactly are people anxious about? Well, remember when Jackson and Chambu passed, he was the minister in the presidency. It took over a year for the president to fill that vacancy. And it was the political unrest in KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng last year that forced a major cabinet reshuffle, which included changes to the health, the security, as well as uh, governance portfolios. So when I called to ask for why it took so long for the president to announce the Andrew resignation um, and when that position would be filled prominently, the response some ministers had is because the president waited until the very last day that he could wait to announce her resignation because once her resignation became official, the clock would then began ticking towards the next cabinet reshuffle. I can tell you there has been talk in political corridors and and it's making ministers quite nervous because uh, the president has four months until the outcome of the or the final report handed over by uh, Chief Justice Raymond Zondo and state capture to report to parliament uh, on a possible cabinet reshuffle. We also saw the president uh, testify before the Human Rights Commission on the unrest um, uh, last week. If you look at when all of those reports will be submitted and when the president may be forced to act, not just to replace Lord Law, uh, but to implement the recommendations of the Unrest Commission and the State Capture Commission, it means we could likely get a cabinet reshuffle in August this year at the earliest. However, it is the president's prerogative. So he will have to decide exactly what the right time is. And no doubt politics will be at play. He won't want to make too many political enemies uh, ahead of the ANC's national conference in December. Hashra, when it comes to anticipated cabinet reshuffles, right, it seems like we in the media are often overly excited about the possibility of a cabinet reshuffle. Opposition party members, of course, will highlight the failures, the inefficiencies of cabinet. So they, too, are always pushing for some change. But realistically, when we look at the track record of somebody like uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa, He seems to be averse to these kind of changes. Yeah, the president likes process. So he will wait for as long as possible for for all processes to be completed. 
uh, before uh, removing someone uh, from cabinet. We saw that with Malusi Gigaba. There were serious allegations against him and serious court findings against him. But the president waited until the outcome of the constitutional court challenge, uh, which dismissed uh, 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 Malusi Gigaba's defense before actually uh, removing Gigaba from the national executive which is why at the earliest I think we could get a cabinet reshuffle is August when the president is forced to tell parliament what he is doing on um, state capture. However, knowing the president and that he likes process, we could only get this cabinet reshuffle after the ANC's national conference, which may actually be the perfect time because once the president is elected for a second term, it looks like he will be at the stage without any serious challenger uh, yet in terms of his role as ANC president. He could do a proper reshuffle after he wins a second term as ANC president, where he would feel a little bit more secure, a little bit more in charge, knowing that he will remain in office for the next five years, and that how his executive implement his mandate and do their jobs will be very closely linked to whether the ANC can can win over 50% in 2024. Of course, one of the biggest challenges, Hajra, is that when we look at the South African pub, uh, public and we look at some of the research that has been done when it comes to levels of trust within government, within different mm-hmm. institutions of government, people are very disillusioned. People actually yeah. don't see the role and the benefit of having a cabinet, let alone one as big as we do. Correctly so, I think. I think it's long become clear uh, as far back as the 2014 general, elect- uh, general elections that our political leaders, especially in the ANC, are far removed from reality. You know, the ANC spent an entire weekend last month uh, discussing renewal. And my response to that was, what is the point of spending an entire three days discussing renewal when the ANC is likely to be voted out in 2024 and it will renew itself when it gets to 35% of the vote? Why not speak about economic measures that could uh, improve the lives of South Africans uh, in those three days that the national leadership of the party sat together? At the time, I was arguing the point that on the issue of the fuel price, for example, South Africans have long been suffocated by the cost of living. State capture only made that worse. The electricity prices in South Africa are are very high as well as uh, unstable. Um, And then the majority of our petrol price comes from a fuel levy. So Ghana, for example, took immediate action uh, to reduce its fuel levy uh, in uh, in response to the to the war in between Russia and Ukraine, and so did the UK. But South Africa, but the ANC government was busy discussing uh, renewal. Um, so I sure. think, I Hajra, think, Hajra, sorry, I'm going mm-hmm. to I'm, I'm going to interject just a bit there. We'll continue with this conversation in a moment. Let me take okay. you over to the news desk and Musa standing by with your headlines. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. Kathy Motlatana on SAFM. 
We continue the conversation on the talking point. I'll be taking your calls on 011-714-2006. On the WhatsApp line, it's 0614-104-107. We're in conversation with the political editor of the Business Day, Hajra Omarji. We're talking about, well, what seems to be a looming cabinet reshuffle potentially, but it really helps us shine the spotlight back on this cabinet and the role that it plays. And and Hajra, you know, what you're saying effectively is a cabinet that is not only out of touch with perhaps the concerns of the majority of South Africans, but that also indicates to an extent a lack of care about the well-being of South Africans. Yeah, um, I gave myself a challenge a few months ago, and that was to find out if uh, the ministers uh, in cabinet knew the price of electricity or knew the price of petrol. Mm. When we put that question to the president, for example, he had no idea what the price of electricity was. He said his wife managed such things in his household. Most ministers I've spoken to as well over the last six months had no idea what the price of petrol is because we fill the, the cars that ministers drive in. It comes out of the tax book. And I think there's a serious issue with how far removed our political leaders are um, from reality, that they are not as impacted by the cost of living uh, as we are. In no other country in the world would, uh, for example, an almost 50% expanded unemployment rate be acceptable. And we've been warning about unemployment levels and the political instability that creates uh, since 1996. I remember Finance Minister Trevor Manuel speaking about it back then. And I think uh, that is the major uh, political problem we have in South Africa. We inherited the apartheid state, and we and the ANC government seemed to be as far removed as the apartheid state. So while we see COVID-19 as an immediate crisis in terms of our business and our political leaders, we do not see the economy as an immediate crisis. Mm-hmm. And I think that social gap needs to be closed in order for, for politicians to do their job a little bit better, because they, under, they would understand the pain um, and the stresses and the suffocation ordinary South Africans go through. No other country in the world um, uh, would you have an unemployment rate of close to 50%. We should be treating it as a crisis, the economy as big as we did COVID-19. And the president himself has said that the lessons we've learned from COVID-19 is that where there is political will, there is a means. Uh, something extraordinary happened in South Africa where we rallied together to ensure that hundreds and thousands of South Africans did not lose their lives in the first wave and the second wave of COVID-19, we need to approach the economy as aggressively. And I think the way to do that is for us to stop focusing on what the ANC says, the DA says, the EFF says, and make our issues the major concern of politicians. Ultimately, a lot of power rests in these public servants because they are in very important decisions of uh, positions, rather, of of decision making. So when again you have this disconnect that is taking place between what is done versus the expectations of South Africans, it 
it perpetuates the perception, you know, that there are no new ideas, there are no clear solutions to the challenges that we are facing right now as a country. And that's perhaps the biggest um, threat to the government currently. Yeah, I did a story a couple of months ago where um, I spoke to ministers about what the challenge was with the public service. So ministers would be public representatives. The public service would be everyone from the DG downwards to your teacher or your nurse uh, in a public hospital. And the minister said they had received a lot of complaints or are receiving a lot of complaints post-COVID-19 about lazy public servants, where the rest of the economy had returned to normal, but public servants were doing the absolute bare minimum because for almost two years during COVID, um, they got paid a salary, their, their jobs were not at risk. Um, and yet uh, they did very little work and they wanted that to continue. We've got to get South Africa working. There's got to be consequence management uh, from the very top downwards uh, in order to get South Africa working. I mean, it's unacceptable that Home Affairs uh, officials up to last week were only seeing five people for the day uh, or that there were only two Home Affairs officials uh, dealing with uh, immigration at the airport, uh, for example. And I think uh, that that is a very serious conversation that Lord Law started uh, before she left office, and we hope that uh, Labour Minister Tulis Malesi, as the acting minister of uh, public service, will continue uh, that conversation. We need to get back to work. We need to work a full eight-hour day, and that extends from you and me to the president of South Africa if we're to get South Africa working. Hajra Omarji, let's leave it there for this morning. She is the political editor, the politics editor of the Business Day.